And uh, let's open our Bibles, if you want to follow us, to the book of Acts, Acts chapter uh, 16. The title of the sermon is straightforward. It's Lydia's Conversion. It's just a wonderful passage of Scripture for us. Acts chapter 16, especially as we'll be baptizing Eliana this morning, we can be thinking uh, that we're... I will be praying for Eliana that God will open up her heart in due time in the same way as the Holy Spirit opened up the heart of Lydia. That's a great prayer for our covenant children, isn't it? Well, let's hear the word of God first of all, remembering this is Paul's second missionary campaign now. The first one was the Galatian region. This is now the second missionary campaign. And as we're hearing the word of God, Though we may be familiar with the book of Acts, let's be reminded we're hearing the inspired text of Holy Scripture. So we're hearing the voice of God coming to us from Acts. Chapter 16 and verse 1. Paul came also to Derb and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. 
And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And we'll stop there, verse 15. And if God permits, next week we'll hear the remaining part of the book of uh, Acts, chapter 16. What we've got here, the title of the sermon this morning is simply this, Lydia's Conversion. Lydia's Conversion. What a great text. If we don't remember anything else, remember this verse this morning, what it says in verse 14 of Lydia, how she was converted. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart. Simple as that. It's not a dramatic conversion like Paul on the Damascus Road. Simply, she opened her heart. And what we learn is that faith always has what? Faith always has ears. And Paul was explaining the gospel, and she heard it, and then the Lord opened her heart. And the question is, has the Lord opened your heart this morning? And if he has then you will keep having an open heart of wanting to hear the preaching of the Word of God. I remember a number of years ago, I'm not going to mention the man's name, he's been a minister for many years. I think he was from Doncaster, and we were sat together in a Banner of Truth Ministers' Conference and exchanging with one another how we'd been converted. And he said to me many years ago, he uh, was in Doncaster as a non-Christian, and it, I don't know, it, but it was a church or his family, but Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones had been invited to preach by a church in Sheffield called Wycliffe. And they arranged the meeting. I don't think it was in, uh, I think it was the building. They had to hire a building somewhere. And this man was brought across to hear the preaching. And on that night, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached on this text, which I've just read. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And he heard about Lydia's conversion. And that night, as he heard it, he was born again. His heart was opened. And then a number of years later, God called him into the ministry to preach the word of God, which he's preached for many years. And that happened in Sheffield. You know, many people have lost contact with him. Maybe would have never have known that it was that night that the Lord opened his heart. We don't always know. I heard one man overseas many years ago making a very inaccurate statement. Have you ever heard this? He was saying, unless you know the date or the hour when you were born again, if you don't know that, you're not a Christian. I'm thinking, whoa, whoa. Whoa. And there was a queue of people, myself and two of us, uh, to talk to this man afterwards to say that's completely unbiblical. If you don't know the day or the hour when you were converted exactly, that doesn't mean you're not a Christian. Jesus said, it's by their fruits that you shall know them. It's by their fruits you shall know them. So be encouraged, because that can liberate people. Because when you live under that kind of bondage, it can be very stifling. Now here we are entering the text here of chapter 16. We've got three simple headings for us. Timothy is heading number one. An open door 
is heading number two, and heading number three is Lydia. Timothy, an open door, Lydia. So let's make a start, first of all, in chapter 16. And what we're going to find is Paul's most important co-worker is brought alongside Paul for the work of the ministry. And that man's name was Timothy. And we read in chapter 16, for our first heading, Timothy, Paul came to Durban to Lystra. What cities were they? They were Galatian cities. And there we find a disciple was there named Timothy. What a lovely name, Timothy. Do you know any, any friends called Timothy? Do you know of people called Timothy? Do you know what Timothy means in Greek? It means this, one who honors God. You don't get it in English, but it's Timotheos. Timotheos, Theos, God. So Timothy means one who honors God. Well, you might be sat here this morning and say, I wish my parents had called me Timothy instead of Kevin or whatever, uh, or whatever your name is. But the fact is true for all of us. Are you a person who lives your life to honor God? That's the work of what a disciple is, a follower of Jesus, living our lives to honor God. So Timothy turns out to be one of the most significant gospel workers in the post-Pentecost world of the early church. This is the first century, by the way, because I think sometimes we forget that. Because we're looking about certain journeys that we're doing, and then we're not driving around in a Land Rover. They were not taking sea journeys on some hovercraft. You know, life was much more slow when you were getting around, but you could get around. Listen to how Paul writes about Timothy later on. Because we find here that Paul wanted Timothy to be circumcised and, and called him to go with them in the work of the gospel. Let me just explain why he was circumcised. It, it had nothing to do with, you've got to be circumcised to get saved. It was simply removing an obstacle as they would work together so that Paul, with Timothy, could minister to both Jews and Gentiles. Now, this is important for us, so it's got nothing to do with the gospel. It's, it's to remove a stumbling block for missions. Why is that important? Back in the first century, you didn't have your own shower. You didn't have your own bath. You had to go to public baths. And so if they're going to reach out to Jews, they wanted to remove every stumbling block so Timothy could preach to Jews and to Gentiles. And so he's now joined alongside Paul, and listen to how Paul describes him in Philippians chapter 2, 19. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. He says, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with the father, he has served with me in the gospel. So Timothy was a man of proven worth. And at the end of Paul's life, who's Paul writing to? We thank God for Luke. Luke it was actually with Paul in that prison situation in Rome. But who does Paul write to at the end of his life? He writes to Timothy. Timothy was a man who was faithful all the way through for him. Well, Timothy's first tax was what? If we see in verse 5, once they delivered 
the reading of the letters, it says in verse 5, if you look there closely, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. They went around these churches to do what? To strengthen them. What does preaching do? It strengthens us. What does preaching do? It strengthens us. They weren't going around to have a bit of a meal together and say, you know, it's wonderful to uh, be with you. You know, here's some hummus and here's some Greek olives and so forth. They might be important, but it's preaching. Paul was a preacher. And now a new mission team is formed. Who's in this team? We're going to find out because as we have the reading, did you notice that little word? little tiny word. It was the word us. Us. Who's writing the book of Acts? It's Luke. Luke, without announcing it, is now joining Paul at this point in his missionary work. And now we've got a team of four men. You've got Paul the Apostle. You've got Silas, a reputed brother in good standing with the church in Jerusalem. And he was sent to deliver the letter uh, to the churches in Antioch in Syria. And now there is Timothy and Luke. Imagine that. What, what a team. That's why we should pray that God would raise up laborers in every generation. And did you notice one little thing it says in verse 5? So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. So the church being strengthened and increased will go together because what's the point if churches... Uh, numbers increase but people are not strengthened and uh, for those who might be just interested by the way I'm not trying to give you Greek words every week you know you might think that with homothumadon the other week but I'm not but just out of interest it says in verse 5 so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily the word for numbers in Greek is arithmos and for those who like arithmetic that's where it comes from. So I wanted to say one thing, first of all, before we go to our second heading of moving from Timothy, is this. Do not despise the day of small things. Do not despise the day of small things. Paul now has joined Timothy with him alongside, and look at how God did wonderful things in and through Timothy throughout his whole life. So don't despise the day of small things. Even Jesus Christ began, how? Very small, conceived in his mother's womb, and in the end he went to the cross to purchase our salvation. He's been raised from the dead. So here we get our first heading, Timothy. Timothy, what does Timothy mean again? One who honors God. Let's get to our second heading now, which is an open door. And here we have a fascinating account here of what happens. Paul, the great apostle, is not sure what to do next. Have you ever faced that? Is there anybody who's, who doesn't, you know, we face that the whole time. He doesn't know what to do next, where he should go. And in verse 9, sorry, verse 6, it says, And they, and who was of the team now? We, we know who was in the team. There was Paul the apostle, Silas. There was Timothy and also Luke, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. 
And when they had, in fact, no, verse 7, it's, it's, it may not be Luke just yet, because it says, when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow, did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, then it changes from they to we. So we know at that point, Luke is now joining them. But let's just stop for a moment. An open door. Don't we love open doors? Do you like open doors? But let me just say this. There was a number of closed doors before God opened the door. And we need to thank God for closed doors. Closed doors in God's providential dealings with us are just as much of an answered prayer as an open door. Sometimes we can get frustrated, can't we? Things are just not working out. Things are just not happening the way I want. Well, maybe God's closing the door and protecting you from marrying the wrong person, from taking the wrong job, from living in the wrong location, from making a bad decision. The Lord is the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. And we need to thank God for closed doors just as much as open doors. Now, some of you are very young sat here today listening to preaching. Before you know it, you're going to be eating your ready break, you're going to be eating your pizzas, and you're going to be growing up like this. One day, you, you might be talking like this now, and then you're going to find out one day, you're going to have a deep voice like me. Hello. And you're going to have to start to make decisions in life. So it won't be that long down the path. But remember, God will open a door at the right time, as he did for the Apostle Paul. And it won't be supernatural in the same way it was for Paul the Apostle. How did it happen for Paul? We see here in verse 7, and when they come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia. The Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Passing by Mysia, they were going to different places, and this place and that place. And then a vision. Remember, Paul is an apostle. So I don't want you to leave here thinking, that's what, that's, that's what I needed to hear. I need a vision. I'm going to start praying for a vision. No, don't start praying for visions. Have you ever met Christians? They have thoughts in their head, and then they put God's name to it and say, God spoke to me about this, and God spoke to me about that. I, I doubt God has given you that hotline. We have the scriptures to teach us. God's word will be a light to our path. It'll be a lamp for our feet. But Paul is an apostle, and he was given a vision in the night of a man of Macedonia. Where was Macedonia? It was on uh, what we would call Greece today. And Paul right now is in Asia. And what's happening, he's having a vision. We don't know if this man was wearing national costume in his vision or not, but he knows it was a man of Macedonia, which was a region in, in this area of the Greco-Roman world, and then saying this, come over to Macedonia and help us. Can you imagine that in your minds? A man maybe with national dress, we don't know exactly, but he's saying, come on over to Paul. And Paul is realizing this is God's leading for him and for the team. But let me just say one other thing before we go a bit further, because what we see here, Paul's heartbeat. What's Paul's heartbeat? 
is to preach the gospel. He's been kind of some way uh, hindered, not by Satan, but the spirit of Jesus. We don't know quite how that happened. He couldn't go there and he tried to go in that direction. Have you ever, to, have you ever attempted in life, it could be in Christian service, but it could be in normal circumstances, and you've made a decision and then you've found, bam, it's a closed door. And you've announced to everyone, we're going to do this, we're going to be living in so-and-so place, we're going to be doing that. And then all of a sudden, the door just closes shut. And then there's always some clever Christian that comes up to you. Have you ever met those Christians yet? And they say, oh, you miss God. You were not seeking God. Have you met people like that? You, You obviously clearly were not seeking God. And here's pastoral encouragement for us. Is Paul the apostle? He met closed doors. And he had a much better line of communication with heaven than we have. So if he meets closed doors, and it's not a case of, you know, that he's missing God, God leads us. And there we're at this point, aren't we, of this great hymn by William Cooper. God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and guides us in the storm. He doesn't just guide us in nice, smooth paths. We need to be prepared to face suffering and difficulties as Christians. I'm reading a book at the moment on revival, and it says, if there ever will be revival, there'll be great suffering for the church. And you need to be prepared to suffer. I met a man called Brother Andrew. Some of you are too young to have ever even heard of that name, I think. That's making me feel old right now. Brother Andrew, he was involved in smuggling Bibles for years. And I met him, and I, uh, I bought one of his books, and I, and I asked him if he would sign the book for me and put me a Bible verse in there. He put me a Bible verse in. Oh, I was so excited. And so I, I looked at what he said, and I, I rushed to my room in the conference center, and, uh, and, I, and I opened my Bible to look at the verse that he'd given me. I thought, what is this? I was a new Christian. And he gave me this Bible verse. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, um, it says, verse 12, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I have to confess my simple thoughts were, what a miserable man. (laughs) That's what I thought. I really thought. I thought I was really expecting some kind of explosive verse, you know, and, and you will be happy every day, or something ridiculous like that. But what verse has stayed with me for 30-odd years? It's that verse. Let me just read. But it, now, I've said it, and it wasn't for me. It's for you as well. You can put your name on this now. Let me read it one more time. Indeed, verse 12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Do you desire to live a godly life? You may say, well, no, not really. Well, I would suggest you should be praying about living a godly life. That's what a disciple does. But it says here that if you do, you will be persecuted. And Paul learns this by experience because what we find now, his heartbeat is he knows as an apostle, he gathers a team together, Luke's there, and, and, and Timothy and Silas, and as a team meeting, listen, boys, we've got clarity now, we've got direction we're going to be going to Macedonia. And so we see in Acts chapter 16, if you look with me in verse 10, 
it says, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to do what? To preach the gospel to them. At last, the open door is there. They're not going just to kind of have a nice time. They're going to preach the gospel. And what's going to be in store for them? An open door. An open door means the opening of people's hearts. There's going to be people there who are going to come to Christ, which is what we're going to look at. The first convert in Philippi was Lydia. This is the first time that we read now in the book of Acts the gospel comes to Europe. The gospel comes to Europe. God is crossing a geographical threshold here by sending Paul now, God's man, to take the gospel officially into Europe. And then it's like a deck of cards. Have you ever seen these things where you have cards there? I've never done it myself. But you take one out and they all crumble. Have you ever seen that? Well, what happens is the, the open door, the open door starts in Philippi. And then what happens next? Oh, do, doors are open into Thessalonica and people come to know Christ. People come to know Christ in Berea and Athens and Corinth and European city after European city. And where are we today? We're in Sheffield. And we're here and God is still opening up hearts in Europe. And so, the divine providence is perfect, and we're good to remind ourselves of the doctrine of divine providence. And as we see, one last point before we get to our, uh, for announce the last point, is this, that we just read there that they immediately went there, and in verse 11, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage. So, they're on a boat now, on a ship, Imagine that journey. And it wouldn't have been, you know, it wouldn't have been a, a, a boat lake in Skegness. You know, this is the day when vessels were not quite as impressive, but they had impressive vessels. But imagine the expectation of Timothy. Paul, what do you think we're going to be, what we be finding there? You just wait, my son Timothy. God has got great things for us. Luke is maybe asking questions as well. And Silas both Paul and Silas, ready to preach the gospel. Who knows? Perhaps they've got some papyrus. They might have been making a few notes of what we're going to be preaching. They may have had it in their head. We don't know. But then we find that they arrive in our third heading now, which is Lydia's conversion, into Neapolis, it says. And from there, went to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remain in this city some days. We remain in this city some days. So they didn't just go there, that uh, uh, they began to acquaint themselves with this city. And why did they go there in verse 13? And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So... There wasn't a synagogue, but there was a Sabbath day, which now indicates to us these were Jewish people gathering together because there wasn't a formal synagogue building. And what does Paul do when he goes somewhere? He brings the gospel first to the Jews. 
That doesn't mean that we do that today in the same way, but it was the apostolic method of Paul. And so we find how that these women are gathered together in this place of prayer, and in verse 14, because our third heading now is Lydia's conversion. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. That's way back in Asia, in, in, uh, in modern-day Turkey. And she was a seller of purple goods. What's, what does that mean? It's a very expensive material that she was selling. A woman of some financial means. And notice this, and she was a worshipper of God. She didn't know Jesus Christ yet, but she was a worshipper of God. God was drawing her, this, this woman called Lydia. And then it says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Oh, what a, what a marvelous testimony. When you're a child and you come to church and your parents think, well, they, they brought me. But maybe you're a Lydia this morning or uh, it could be a, uh, a young girl. And maybe right now as I'm preaching, maybe the Lord will open your heart to attend to what has been said so that you can become a Christian. A Christian means somebody who is born again. That God gives us a new heart. And it's super natural when you're born again you keep running the race year after year after year you don't realize it's a long race and if you are born again you didn't subscribe to the race either god calls you and he puts you in to the race and says i want you to run the race i want you to be a good soldier of jesus christ and at the end of the race either jesus will come back or we will die and then we will meet Jesus Christ in heaven personally. A friend of mine, their dad just went to be the Lord just a few days ago, and the funeral was last week. And what's important for us to realize, he's not just met now Jesus, he's met the whole Trinity. If you're a Christian, are you looking forward to meeting the Trinity? This is the gospel that we have. As preachers, we're simply pointing the way right now, but this is only a temporary holding place. You won't have to listen to preachers like me forever. One day you'll be able to hear the prince of preachers who's not Spurgeon. It's Jesus Christ in heaven. Won't that be wonderful to hear face to face? And Lydia will be there in heaven. This friend's dad who went to be with the Lord. It was said in the funeral only this week. He was a, a committed Christian. He loved the word of God. And somebody was giving a, a eulogy or a, a tribute to their life and talking about things and, and said how much he really had a love for the word of God. And I think the comment was made in, in the funeral service. He had a love for the word of God, but he has a greater love for the word of God now in heaven. Now he really knows the Bible. And Lydia wouldn't have known that when she was first converted. Her heart was opened. And what's the result? Verse 15, And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon 
us. Luke, Timothy, Silas, and Paul. Most people in the Greco-Roman world didn't live in a big house like you do. So to house four preachers, you've got to have a sizable house. And we know that there was a household there because it says here in the Word of God, it says after she was baptized and her household as well. The whole household were baptized. He said, well, were they all converted? Not necessarily. Well, what, 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 what do you mean they weren't all converted? The Bible doesn't tell us that here, but it says the whole household were converted because the principle was this, is that as you would be the head of the household, of Lydia probably was, then baptism was also a commitment to discipleship. She clearly was born again. But we see a whole household baptism. Now, we, we don't practice that today, but we see it on a number of occasions in, in the book of Acts. And so we find something else about Lydia before we close in this gentle and powerful testimony in Lydia's life. Is that she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. Lydia was the first convert in Philippi. A woman of significant means. She had a good reputation. She was involved in probably some kind of business enterprise. A large household that were all baptized. She herself was baptized, but she had the gift of hospitality. And what a wonderful providence that is to begin what became a church in Philippi. Because Paul's not able to stay there for a long time because of what? Because of persecution. He has to leave. And we'll get to that as we look further on in the book of Acts. But she had the gift of hospitality. Do you have the gift of hospitality? And if you don't, let's pray for the gift of hospitality to thrive in the church. Because churches need people with the gift of hospitality taking strangers in, at least for meals. Never mind at times, maybe having them stay with you for a while. Who knows what? But let's pray for the gift of hospitality to thrive in the church of God. So as we come to a close here, we've looked at three headings before we move to the baptism. First, Timothy is now joining the team. Imagine what he's thinking. You know, on that boat trip, just, just wait to see what the Lord does. And already, Paul is, must be rejoicing now at the conversion of Lydia, the baptism of the whole household, and it's only just begun. So what we find is that God moves in mysterious ways. In Acts chapter 13, when Paul was first sent out, the Holy Spirit spoke to the leaders there to send them out on this mission trip. But here now they need fresh direction. And if you need fresh direction, be encouraged. God will give it to you. Not in the same way he did to the Apostle Paul, but he will give it because God ordains everything in life. There's nothing that you and I have faced this week that has not been ordered by the good providence of God. Do you believe that? Everything that's happened to you this week has been ordered by the good providence of God. And I don't say that because I can quote the Westminster Shorter Catechism. 
all the Westminster Shorter Catechism does is summarize to us the truth of God. So let's be pastorally encouraged with that, that we see about this open door that happened, but there were closed doors before there was ever an open door. But it's an open door to preach the gospel. And then Lydia's conversion. And let me conclude with these verses for us. And let's pray, if you're, if you're a parent, pray this for each of your covenant children. It says here in Acts chapter 16, it says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. I'll just give a bit of wisdom though, is that as parents, as your children grow, they may be genuinely brought to Christ, but in that certain years, their attention levels vary. That doesn't mean that their heart's not been opened. It may, it may indicate that their heart has not been opened. But we need time to let the fruit come forth. But let's pray for our covenant children that the Lord will open their hearts and then keep their hearts open. And for those of us who are Christians, if you can confess this morning, Jesus Christ is my Lord. Let's examine ourselves whether our heart is still open to be receiving the word of God, preached, read, whatever way it comes. Not only to hear it, but to be committed to obeying what we hear. Are you committed to obeying what we hear? Not simply taking in to increase our knowledge, but to obey the word of God.